1: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. The Gators' run of three straight home games under the lights of the Swamp to open the season came to an end last weekend. But the win over USF was more survival than statement. On today's show, we'll fire up the roundtable with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry and the voice of the Gators, Sean Kelly, to discuss takeaways from the second victory of the season, the hurdles facing Anthony Richardson, the importance of Ventrell Miller to the defense, the challenges presented by a hungry and potent Tennessee offense, a major upset on the road for volleyball, and the changes coming to Major League Baseball in the PAT. Then, Louisiana transfer and offensive lineman Osiris Torrance joins us to share why he followed Billy Napier to become a Gator, bringing some Cajun spice to Gainesville, and much more. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet health care destination with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. It is time for the roundtable, our our cadre of experts are here, of course, FloridaGators.com, Senior Writers Scott Carter, Chris Harry, The Voice, the Gators, Sean Kelly here to talk all the things gators, especially Florida football. Uh, as we discuss the aftermath of the win over USF and leading into the first road test and what's proving to be a very high-profile one against Tennessee. Uh, guys, let, let's start with takeaways from Saturday. Obviously, it was not the performance most people expected. It was still a win, however, one that, that left maybe more questions than most would have hoped for, especially after what we talked about last week in terms of the growth and the things that, that you would want to see from a game like that.
0: In a lot of ways, I think that we're still lacking answers as opposed to new questions. Uh, and I said this on Gator Talk on Monday night. You know, I don't care what sport it is or what level it is. It's really hard to win. Um, so the Gators win and find themselves at two and one. And look, if you're going to be in a in a growth mode or a growth stage or development situation, like frankly, the Gators are in football wise right now, um, the game doesn't hurt you. You didn't lose the game. so uh, yes, there are a lot of things that um, were somewhat alarming, and there are things that need to be corrected and rather quickly, but at the end of the day, uh, your your need to still grow and to execute better didn't hurt you, uh, thankfully, against South Ford, and you got yourself a win.
2: Yeah, that's something that it almost seems like a, a loss with some of the reaction, but it is a win. They're two and one, and they're heading up to Tennessee, and Everything that Sean said is spot on. I mean, they got to play better. I think we can all see that. But most importantly, uh, the the biggest takeaway we talked about it last week, guys, was going into that game. The one thing you wanted to see was Anthony Richardson have a bounce back performance and regain some confidence as they head up to Tennessee for this big SEC game. But unfortunately, he didn't do that. I mean, he had again a couple of costly interceptions, and it just kind of raised more questions and. You know, I think it's a multifaceted issue. I think, you know, he's getting played defensively different. He's not playing well at all in the passing game. Uh, I think, you know, they've, they're they definitely trying to stop him in the run game. He added it all up, and it just looks bad uh, on paper for Anthony. Uh, but again, they did win the game last week, and uh, now they got a game that, if you're in the SEC and you're with Florida or Tennessee, you're not excited about it. You probably should go somewhere else. So, looking forward to this one and seeing how it turns out Saturday.
3: To tag team on the Richardson talking point, which, I mean, again, in that first uh, uh, Gator talk with Sean and I, we said we'd be talking about Anthony Richardson every week. And I think what happened in week two with Kentucky, Mark Soup showed uh, everyone on Florida's schedule how to defend Anthony Richardson they're going to rush him very cautiously. They're going to spread him out a little bit. They're going to play zone. They're going to make him make decisions. They're not going to let him beat it with his legs. And until he shows that he can solve uh, that kind of a uh, 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 defensive alignment, that's what he's going to see. And now he's got to go up to Tennessee and see it with 106,000 screaming maniacs uh, trying to distract him. So if there was anything to take away from that game, and I think both of these, uh, my colleagues will agree with me, Florida needs to run the ball, man. They they have sta- a stable uh, of, of of backs. Um, those three backs: Montrell Johnson and Trevor uh, Ntien and and Nakon Wright. Uh, what was it? 196 yards uh, as a group. They averaged 9.8 per carry. Of course, you know that includes a 62 yard run, but it counts. And uh, offensive line is is playing is playing very very well. And I I, I just think they got to ride that if they can figure out a way to weave some more Richardson runs into that, it, it may even be all the, all the stronger and maybe that'll help the, the passing game. But for now, especially going up with a, with a game like, like this, um, you know, that's the strength of their team right now. It's not on the defensive side of the ball. It's not at the quarterback position. It's offensive line and running game. And, you know, that's probably where they got to kind of, kind of, you know, make their hay, I would think.
0: Yeah. And, and Kristen, to your point, through three games, sixty percent of Florida's offensive production right now is on the ground, and if we if we're following you, and we probably should here, it probably needs to go even higher. And as it is, it's the third highest percentage in all of Power Five, only behind that's amazing Kansas wow. State and Rutgers. Uh, you know, and of course, obviously, uh, I you know I'm 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 so with you on the offensive line play. Uh, you know they've uh, statistically have only allowed two sacks. One of them is Anthony Richardson going out of bounds. The other one I'm not even too sure was a true sack either. So in that sense, uh, they are they are a bright spot in what you know we still have a cloudy situation. Mm.
1: You know on on the Richardson front, I mean there's a lot of questions that we probably don't have the answers to, um, but you hope that that coaches do. For as Chris noted, here's the here's the blueprint that Mark Stoops gave. And now, how does Florida react to that blueprint? But beyond that, what I'm more interested in at the moment is is the psyche of Anthony Richardson because we've talked about this a lot over the years uh, on this show. There is an incredible spotlight that comes with being the quarterback at the University of Florida, and it ultimately proved too much for Jeff Driscoll. It was too much for Felipe Franks at points. Um, I'm sure there's others I'm forgetting who've been spit up and chewed out in, in this machine, but... There's going to be a lot of love when you're playing well, and if it goes poorly, which it has recently for Richardson, you're going to feel that too. What is your sense, again, from being around him, around Coach Napier, what is your sense on how he is handling this and how it's affecting him as he tries to become the player that everybody believes he can be?
2: Well, I think he's he's learning a lot right now because, you know, he spoke this week and that was one of his things he talked about pretty uh, transparently. You know, he had a talk with his mom on Sunday. Uh, he's beating himself up over some interceptions, and she told him basically, uh, "Hey, get out of, of your own head. Here's some other quarterbacks who have thrown a lot of interceptions." He's talked to his high school coach Cedric Daniels lately, uh, who told him basically that, "Yeah, you know, you're not out there having fun like I remember you at high school." So I think he's going through that learning process, Adam. Uh, that a guy who probably has never had much athletic failure. Let's face it. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's been a, a great athlete his whole life. He's uh, that's why he's at the University of Florida. And now he's dealing with some, uh, uh, you know, if not failure, at least some uh, critical analysis of his play on a very public stage. So I think everybody handles those situations differently. Uh, I know Billy Napier is helping him navigate some of that. Um, and I know that, you know, Anthony, as I said, he's he's relied on some of his closest friends. uh and personal family people like Vernell Brown also. I forgot to mention that He talked to him uh, or mentioned him yesterday. So he's going through that process, and, uh, you know, we're just seeing it on a public stage, and uh, we all know he's got enormous talent. Uh, But, again, great players, they're able to overcome these uh, situations or doubts, and that's why they're great. So we're just going to see how it shakes out for Anthony.
1: From a tactical standpoint, outside of the very obvious, which is be more accurate, is there anything that, that you guys are seeing that you think will help him grow and, and achieve better results within the framework of this offense? I'm not, I'm not so sure I'm qualified to answer the question. I'll
0: just lean on the numbers right now. His yards per attempt are last in the SEC, uh, and his completion percentage is last in the SEC at 53%. The last two games alone, 43%. So, uh, you know, is this an accuracy issue? Is this being in tune with his wide receivers more? I don't think he's been under duress a great deal. I thought Will Levis was under more duress in week two uh, between the Gators and the Wildcats. Look, I'll just lean on this. Billy Napier made no bones about it on Monday to the media and to his team. There is an emphasis on precision in the passing game this week. I'm eager to watch and practice and see how that plays out. Um, I I appreciate coach's honesty and and being candid about it, but it's sloppy and it really has been since game one. And so perhaps precision is the answer. Um, And, you know, who knows what will get him going? Maybe it's a touchdown pass. I mean, it's remarkable. The Gators are one of three teams, three without a touchdown pass this season. There's a lot of football teams out there and uh, it's south florida, in the florida nation. and hawaii yes and wow nation. it's uh, the yes. first
3: time it's the first time since the 2013 season they've gone three straight games without a touchdown pass and it's the first time since i would have to go to some stone tablets in the in the <laughs> in the tombs of the stadium to find when the first time they opened a season without a touchdown pass through three games because through the, I'd say the last half century, they've opened against some, uh, you know, it was some easy victories. So I can't imagine when the last time that was, but I'm, I guarantee it was a long, long time ago, way, way before Steve Spurrier came back to coach. T.
1: Chris, you mentioned the defense. I think when we started this conversation, I want to get back to that. One big difference between uh, Game Two and Game Three was No Ventrell Miller. How important do you guys think he is to Florida's defense? And if if he is that important, how critical is it that they get him back in these upcoming games, especially
2: in big SEC games? Well, I think we saw how important he is against USF for, what, 286 yards rushing for the Bulls. Um, we knew Vintro was a central piece on defense. I mean, that that linebacker spot. But he's also just such an important communicator. He's a veteran. Nothing really surprises him on the field. He's pretty much seen it all by now. And we don't have a guy like that, you have some guys out of place. Uh, you have some miscommunication, and you have a lot of runs right up the gut uh, that pick up a lot of yards. And so, you know, that's a, another thing that Billy Napier has talked about this week. He's been asked about that. You know, how important is for Miller? He says, well, you, 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 you guys see, you can't really replace him. And they're hoping that, uh, you know, maybe he gets back uh, sooner rather than later. Uh, But the sooner, the better, because the Gators need him, and uh, I think USF, just their ability to run the ball, I think that was one of the things that probably surprised me the most from that game. Speaking
1: of Tennessee, let's talk about this game. Uh, Florida opens with three straight at home. Now they go on the road. Game day is going to be there. Um, There's a lot of hype. This is, I feel like every few years, Tennessee's got this game where they're ready to declare that they are back. One of them was a few years ago against Florida when game day was there. And I don't think that went well for them either. Um, They've been waiting for their big return to the national stage for a long time. And I think they probably view this as being that. What kind of challenge is this going to be for Florida? What do we know about Tennessee besides the fact that they've uh, pretty much dispatched their first couple opponents since they beat Pittsburgh on the road? Well, this team can score. We know that already. I think, you know, if you take away two of
0: the opponents – and just leave the Pitt example. Pitt's a good team. Hendon Hooker is a veteran, and he's got Jets on the outside in those wide receivers. Uh, by the way, trivia, last Tennessee quarterback to have a touchdown pass in 15 or more straight games is?
1: Peyton Manning. It's going to be like Casey Clawson. It's not going to be Peyton. Or is it Peyton? It is not. It's Heath Schuler who went 18 straight with a touchdown pass. I'm taking credit because I said someone other than Peyton. So I got the spirit of the question. You should take credit.
0: Um, (laughs) Here's the other thing about Tennessee. You better be ready on defense. They're the fastest team in the SEC, tempo-wise, running a play every 20.5 seconds. They'd like to do it at 18, but the numbers bear out at 20.5 seconds. Fastest in the SEC, fifth fastest tempo in FBS. So no time to uh, waste, especially for a football team that might not have Ventrell Miller again and being properly – uh, lined up and ready to go, uh, so that is of concern, and uh, it will be a major storyline on Saturday.
1: You guys have all been there before when Neyland is full and rocking, which you have to guess it's going to be. What is that like relative to other environments in college football?
3: I mean, I was there in 1998, which was the third game of the season. It's ultimately that was the uh, game that, excuse me, the season that Tennessee won its its national championship and went 13-0 with 13 and 0 with. T. Martin, a quarterback, and they had a, they had a really, really good football team that season, but I'll, I'll say this, and it's, it's only happened to me, in, and I'm, I'm sure Sean could probably speak to this also. It's probably happened to him in a couple places, but when Florida Cooper Carlisle, I believe was the kicker, missed the, the field goal in overtime, the first overtime game in, in University of Florida football history, uh, I was in the press box, and the press box was shaking. It felt like an earthquake, you were literally moving a little bit. I felt that way once before, and I was with Scott at Texas A&M when it was like that. I remember Jenna, you talking John, about John, that. in Johnny Manziel's first game. But this one was a little different because they stormed the field, tore the goalposts down. I mean, this is how these people up there – I mean, this was their existence. Tennessee football for years and years and years. and And the Florida-Tennessee rivalry wasn't – just the best rivalry in the sec, uh, in the nineties and early 2000, it was, it was, it was one of the best in the country. And it was always early in the season. And the team that lost, basically they were playing for second place and the rest of the year. And, you know, some kind of, you know, a secondary bowl game, They, they were out of the national championship picture more often than not. But I mean, there are some unbelievable football games and I've been up there when Florida has killed them. I've been up there when I was up there for 45 to three when Texas went, or excuse me, when Tennessee beat Florida, I was up there when Florida was beating them 35 to nothing in the second quarter with Peyton Manning and Tennessee was number two in the country. I got a stat right here. How about this though? Since Ron Zook left. Okay. He was fired in middle of the 2004 season, six head coaches at university of Florida. Just one has lost to Tennessee. Now, that's why this the Florida fans can sit back and kind of say, you know, see, yeah, we got this. What is it? Sixteen of the last seventeen. It's been kind of fun. These people up there are are losing their minds. This is the <laughs> one, and, and and you can't you can't. I I I don't think you can overemphasize. They are laying in wait for this one. Throw all those. Uh, throw all those uh, 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 cliches, chomping at the bit, whatever the hell you want to say, how it's going to shake out. No, that's not a good, good enough cliche right there. But, uh, But the, the, the idea is this, this is this is really the one they've been waiting for. And you thought like in 2017, I think in 2017, was it – Florida was up, Scott, weren't they up like a couple touchdowns and then Tennessee came roaring back in that game?
1: That was 16 with, with
2: Austin Appleby. Last time the game day was there for this matchup.
3: That's right. And, and, and so and Florida went, I think, was up and then they, were, they went on a roll. I think scored four unanswered touchdowns or something like that. And the place went crazy. And I think they thought it was all solved then. But I think Florida's won five in a, five in a row since then. And uh, uh, McElwain remains the only one since Zook to have that um, Knoxville L or not Knoxville, a UTL on his on his list.
1: Before we move on to our PAT, you know, even though we all get caught up in football, we make sure to point out when there are other big things happening in Gator Nation. Uh, And how about what volleyball did going on the road uh, and scoring a pretty monumental upset?
0: Yeah, congratulations to Mary Wise and her team. Nothing was going to be easy about a trip to beautiful Madison, Wisconsin. Not only were the Badgers ranked in the top five, but they were out to break the NCAA regular season single game attendance record moving that match inside the Kohl Center and uh, hoping to get between 16 and 17,000. Yep, Florida went in, spoiled the party, almost had a sweep in three sets, gave up the third set and battled all the way through, was down in the fifth and rallied to come back and win and stunned the Badgers and what was truly a record-setting night in NCAA women's volleyball. Good for her.
1: Yeah, very cool to hear that. Moving on to our PAT, uh, let us talk about baseball, which I I know generally has a cooling effect on Chris, but I'm going to keep him engaged here. Um, This is generally a a Scott Carter specialty, but I'm sure you guys saw that a few weeks ago they made some changes going forward. Um, One of the changes that is getting the most attention is the elimination of the shift It is now going to be mandated that you have to have two infielders on either side of the base, of second base, and they cannot be on the outfield grass. So it's a great time if you're a left-handed hitter who's been mired in these increasingly aggressive shifts that teams have been putting on and there's also some things in there to try and speed up the pace of play they're really going to force pitchers to work faster uh, and start awarding balls and strikes if they are not going faster or the batter is not getting the box quickly enough but basically things that are happening now are changing the competition for the sake they believe the sake of the entertainment value and therefore the popularity and longevity of the sport. My question to you guys is, especially when it comes to the shift, changing strategies that teams use to have an advantage, do you think that is making the game better? Or is baseball misdiagnosing the problem here as they move forward?
2: Well, I mean, I like to change personally. I mean, this is nothing new for baseball. They've had many... Changes over the decades, you know, obviously lowering the mound. What after 1968 when the pitchers dominated, there's been many others over the decades. I think we're just in an era of the game where the shift has really changed the game in a lot of ways from an offensive standpoint. And you see the numbers uh, reflect that uh, in this year, and really the last couple of years. So um, everything else you're talking about, speeding up the game, I'm all for that. I mean I think all these changes are in the right uh spirit but I'm a believer that baseball is just it's you either like it or you don't it's it, I don't think it's ever going to grow at the rate of you know football or soccer or any of these other sports that are more popular today but if you love baseball like I do you know you like to see changes that you think make the game better so I do think in this era that we're currently in I think getting away from the shift and, you know, allowing just pitch the ball, hit the ball, speed it up. I mean, it's amazing when I go back and watch a replay of a game from the eighties or nineties, how much faster things move along. It's not like everything now is overanalyzed in the game of play. Uh, I think let's do that beforehand, then go out and play the game. So that's just my, my two cents, but I personally like these latest changes.
3: You go back and watch games from the 80s?
2: <laughs> Occasionally. I do on Apple TV. They've got like greatest – it's a it's an unbelievable thing if you haven't seen it. I don't watch the whole game, Chris. As somebody
3: who – I mean, after the Washington Senators moved, okay, I had to adopt a team. And I, I adopted players more than anything else. I loved watching – one of the best hitters for average in my lifetime was Rod Carew. He could hit the ball wherever he wanted hit the ball. I just never understood when there was a shift I guys just won't put their bat on the ball and sit and, and knock a little single sure. where they ain't. And I, for the, for the life of me, I can't remember that, but I mean, as long as they're doing this, you know, that's fine, I guess. I, I mean, I, I think it's kind of crazy, but uh, as long as they're doing this, why not like take it to another level and do it like freaking uh, uh, NFL replay flags where you get three shifts in a game or something <laughs> like that. Make it real strategic. You yeah. can save, you can sit on your shifts till late in the game or save them for, that one particular player or something like that. I mean, we're doing something like that, oh, you know, you know, why not? But uh, bigger bases, is that going to increase uh, being able to steal more? Cause I'd love to see that. What the leading base stealer in the league now steals like 30 bases, 40 bases in a year, right?
1: Ricky Henderson did like what? How many did Ricky
3: Henderson steal? <laughs> How many did Maury will steal Lou Brock? I mean, it was over, it was over a hundred every year. Mm-hmm. So uh, any, anything to generate some activity on the bases and, and some activity on the, on, on the scoreboard, I guess I'm four, but I mean, whatever, you know, it's baseball.
0: Well, following up Chris's enthusiasm for
1: America's <laughs> pastime,
0: I will say this. It's not like baseball is changing something that's been in place for decades and decades, and decades. The shift in the history of this game is somewhat relatively new. So we're, we're making an adjustment here. And, and for me, I like it because seemingly the numbers would tell us that three things are happening in baseball right now, home runs, strikeouts, and hitting into the shift. Two of those three things don't really excite the average fan and me either, really, although I do like strikeouts because I'm pitcher friendly. So I like the idea of taking away the shift. This idea that you've got to have both feet on the dirt, I think we're getting a little zippy and uh, out of bounds with that. I mean, here's the deal. If Aaron Judge is up there on the right side and I'm playing third base and nobody else is on, I'm going to have a couple of feet on the grass, the outfield grass, (laughs) frankly. So that's just me. Um, The bigger bases, look, player safety and maybe to Chris's delight here, maybe it induces some more attempts to stolen bases. The pitch clock has been a resounding success during its trials in the minor leagues. It has significantly improved the pace of play. Pitchers love it. And I think that, um, it's a welcome addition to the game. So, there you go. Those are my thoughts. And, oh, by the way, thank you uh, for bringing up, Scott, the fact that the mound was lowered, uh, 1968, if I'm not mistaken. Not because all pitchers were pitching so good. No, Bob Gibson was that good. One guy, (laughs) the guy, is the reason why the mound was lowered. And with that, I yield
1: back.
2: (laughs) I think, what, a 1.12 ERA
1: or something like that? Hmm. Well, the the council has spoken. So uh, thank you guys for weighing in on that topic for us. I know it's going to continue to be hotly debated. Uh, But in the meantime, there's a lot of work you guys have to do. Big one this weekend, Florida, Tennessee. Make sure to follow all these guys online and read what Kristen Scott write on the website and listen to what Sean is doing on the Gator Sports Network from Learfield. Guys, thank you so much. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you, Adam. Thanks, guys. Goodbye. Thank you. If the strength of this Gators squad is its offensive line, that's almost certainly because of a key new addition in the spring. After dominating in the Sun Belt and becoming an all-conference star over three seasons for the Raging Cajuns, Osiris Torrance chose to follow Billy Napier to Gainesville and become a new anchor up front. To open our conversation, we asked if he's ever come across anyone else with his incredibly unique name. I met Cyrus.
4: I met a, I met, I met a Cyrus before, but not one like oh no, no, I haven't. Not yet. Still waiting. I feel like I am. I feel like I might.
1: When you go to a when you go to like a, a put you order food or like a you know, Starbucks or something. What name do you give them for the order? Is it you probably do you give them like a fake name just to make it easier? Yeah,
4: yeah. I, I, just, I just tell them both. <laughs> yeah, because um I they use like I usually I can't even tell them my nickname because sometimes they mess it up. So I just tell them both to make it shorter. Because like I try. Osiris, they usually mess it up, or it just takes longer to get the to get the part done. So I just had to, I had to think of something else. Then I just eventually after after a while, I just got sorted out to bow. So it makes everything easier. Process go away, smoother.
1: Yeah. Um, so you started to talk there about your family. Tell us a little bit about your family and and where you grew up. I grew up in
4: um, it's like in a country, like it's in Greensboro, Louisiana. Is like really grew up like mostly just the woods. Like the closest city was like an hour. Like wow. hour 30 away was Baton Rouge. Mm-hmm. It Rouge, it, it was close. But I mean other small little towns around us. Like, we was the smallest out of the three towns that surrounded us. But um it, it wasn't much. I mean, we the way the way my family was, I mean, it was I, I stayed with my grandma, and my mother, and my other three brothers, and then like we all stayed on um on like a family road toward the farther you go down the road, the more and more family was just different cousins and uncles and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. My grandpa stayed on the side of us. And it was just nice, like it was, it was always like Family type vibes. I mean, I, I, I grew up playing outside with my all my different cousins a lot. And then, like, most of them was older than me. So, that's kind of how I got used to just playing with older kids. I so, like, they kind of toughened me up a little bit because, like, I couldn't go out there and get hurt and start crying and go inside because they wouldn't even play with them more. So, I had to sit out there and toughen up when stuff did happen. So, I mean, that, it, it, it was fun. So, I mean, that's kind of how it was. And then, yeah, it's kind of like a nice, nice little family vibe. We always had, like, different events and stuff in my grandma's house. Or like we go down into the neighborhood and have some type of like events on the weekends and stuff. It was fun. Hmm.
1: So uh, you talked about playing with your older brothers. How long did it take before you were bigger than them? Because it was probably more fun when you got bigger than them. But how how long did that take? It, it, it took longer than I would like, because by the time I was bigger than them, they was like
4: in in like high school and they're finna graduate. So they weren't really playing like I used to, but like mm-hmm. around... Around seventh grade, when I started, like, getting big, big for real. Then eighth grade, when I got up to, like, 400 pounds, I was, like, I was really bigger than themselves. So like, that's when I was like, yeah, I can't, you can't do it to me. I can't, like, bully me yeah. around like I used to no more. So it's, like, it's just a,
1: <laughs> a mutual thing. And then kind of, like, stopped from there. But, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Um, was it always football? I mean, was that always the game you guys went to and that's how you got into it? Or did you guys play other sports and football just came later because of your size and, and your ability? It was, it was it was, always football because,
4: like, in my town, that's the only sport there was. Like, we had no baseball, no other type of teams. I mean, they had a basketball team for high school. But, I mean, I don't want to say that was never good, but it's just not a basketball town. So, I mean, it was no, there was never that much attention on it. So, I mean, um, it was just mostly just football. I mean, grew up playing backyard football. Then you had to play Little League. You start playing little, little League, like the um, kids your age and, and stuff like that in the town. And then um, I had um, – I, I stopped playing Little League for a little while and then started playing middle school football. But then, then that's how I just went from middle school to high school. But, I mean, football is always the main thing. I mean, we played – we played basketball in the neighborhood, but, I mean, it was never nothing too serious we ever took. It was mostly just – football really because like like my my cousins and my dads like they um like my, my uncles they they play football my dad played football so like my older cousins so, i mean everybody just played football so it's kind of just we all followed each other playing it
1: did you did you naturally gravitate to the uh to the line just because of your size or was there a were you were you a wide receiver at some point but then you got too big so um, i i naturally guaranteed it to the
4: line my own when we played like 11 to 12 year olds but i mean a few times i I played a little fullback when I wasn't too big, but I mean, I was still big enough to like yeah get, get back there. So I played fullback a little bit. I mean, I mean, I tilt the ball a few times. I got like maybe three three or four touchdowns I don't talk about. but I mean, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was fun when I lasted, but I knew from the jump that I was going to be on the line because I was always bigger than everybody else. Hmm.
1: So in, in terms of recruiting and, and what got you started, um, what was it about Coach Napier, about Louisiana that, that spoke to you when you were coming out of high school?
4: It was probably the um the realness I felt from him. Like I felt that like the genuine, like more than just we gonna we're gonna develop you more we're gonna develop you as a man and as a player both. Like it wasn't all every time they came to me and talked to me, it wasn't always just about football. It was about life sometimes and I remember I would talk to Coach Napier on Thursday nights and stuff like that, like throughout my high school scene all year. And like it wasn't every time he would call me. Sometimes I probably wouldn't want to talk to them, but I get on the phone. That it wasn't about football; it was just about just life in general. And I think even a talk. I think even a call to talk about football, but it's not. He talk just to see how I'm doing. It's just a small things like that. Then it just let me know that they, that to them it's more just a the game. They they care. And then after then meeting them and then coming to the, um, going to the campus and they hand about how they plan, how they develop, how they do develop their players and old linemen in um, particular. It just it just spoke to me. I was, I just knew this was the
1: right right go right thing to do. With him, trust him and go with him. Mm-hmm. So w- when he when he leaves and comes to Florida, what's going through your head? And and how long did it take you to decide that you also wanted to to make that jump?
4: Uh, it, it it took a while. Honestly, it wasn't easy because when he first left, I didn't think too much of it. Honestly, because I was thinking, you know, really mostly just good for him. I'm just thinking I'm just gonna finish my last year here and then do the best I can do to try to raise my draft stock from here. And then like after this, after our bowl game, I started thinking about it a little bit because we, so we we lost a lot of the coaching staff and then just just in general, like seeing how um I felt good enough to come to this league and play. And I feel like if I were to, like, I'd get more recognition. And me and my family thought about it and talked about it. Then we knew it was, I, we knew, we thought it was a risk of like going to the portal, then what uh, they don't want me here and all this and that. So we knew that risk too, but we just, we just, we just decided like to, just bet on like, bet on my skill set and like that I'm good enough to work. If I, if it do not work out there and I can't go make here, no matter where I go, like, I still get to where I need to get to. But then when I went to the portal, that's when everything went crazy because I found out it wasn't just Florida women, it was a lot of people, but I mean, I knew when I got in Porto where I was going from the jump. So, I mean, it wasn't no strays and no hiccups and nothing like that. But, I mean, it it, it was a tough decision to leave because of, like, the friendship, like, I made with uh, the coaches that were still there and some of the players. But at the end of the day, I knew what was best for me and my family. And, um, like, to get to where I want to get to was to – come here and have a good season here and stuff. So
1: Hmm. yeah, you've been, you've been referenced as a leader by so many guys that you play with. Even last week, we talked to Richard garage and and he talked about, you know, coach Osiris and the, the role that you play. Um, how do you think you've become a leader so quickly? Usually it's not the new guy that <laughs> is that voice, especially when it's on, you know, the, the line, the line's a close-knit group. Those are usually guys yeah. that have built the trust over a number of years. What do you think you've been able to do to make that kind of impact so quickly?
4: Honestly, I apologize. Part of my hard work. I, I, what I what I realized in life, like growing up for me, like people respect hard work. And like, if you want to get some respect, just like some that you like willing to like, do the work to, like, earn the respect type, like, type of, type of way. So that's kind of what I, what I did first when I got here. I mean, I, um, it was, I mean, they, they accepted when I got here. It was, you no know, not accepting this, but, like, you can tell that I still need to earn their respect. So I just kind of put my head down and start working. And then by the time spring came around, I just slowly started, like, vocalizing, like, just um, words of encouragement throughout practice and then just, like, steady working hard and then, like putting a good film up to where, like, you can have other players see it and they can see you, like, actually working hard and trying and stuff like that. And I and I believe that's kind of, like, how that came about then after uh, I got comfortable enough to, like, actually start talking a little bit more and then, like, start actually, like, being able to, like, help, help other players who didn't maybe understand some of the concepts because I've been in this offense for so long and I knew right. it. I just needed, like, I just took me a while to get more confident in knowing it and being able to, like, tell them after, like, Towards the middle of the spring, once I got, like, more, more and more comfortable with being able to just, like, sometimes make the calls like the center would usually do, like, start doing things like that, and, like, just kind of, like, push me into that role a little, little bit more, and then just kind of, like, went from there.
1: Yeah, as uh, as Coach Osiris, I guess you, you can take a, a view on this. Um, where do you see the most potential for growth on the offensive line right now, both for yourself and, and obviously the the group as a whole? I, f- I
4: feel like potential. We
1: have we can get much
4: better in the run game. I feel like even though we're doing pretty good now, I feel like we got we got a few more levels we can get to to be uh, um, one of the best groups in the country. And I feel like that we just gotta keep playing together and like just. Where we're starting to realize that if we practice better together, it makes us look better on game days. And we just got to, like, just not even worry about game days. I tell them, like, the coaches be telling us, like, don't worry about the game days, just worry about today. And, like, we just have a good practice together Tuesday, have a good practice together Wednesday, and have a good practice Thursday, and then meetings and stuff, Friday. We all know exactly what the defense is doing and stuff like that. We're all on one page. I feel like this is going to boost our play, like, in a run game and in a pass game so we can, like – be able to run it when we need to and give Ant the time he need whenever he want to throw the ball and stuff like that. So I feel like that's important for us to like get to the next level. And I feel like we do have a lot of potential in in those areas.
1: Your offensive linemen are often the the guys that no one really knows, right? You don't know their names. They tend not to be that famous. Um, So if I asked a quarterback, who are guys you look up to. Everybody would know those names, right? I want to be like Tom Brady. I want to be like Russell Wilson. Uh, as, as an O lineman, who are your who are your inspirations? Who are guys that you look up to and you want to model your game after? It's on um, Tyrone Smith from um, the Cowboys, even though
4: he got hurt but just watching. We um, I, I watched some of like the count from the, the camp clips and stuff from him this year. And then like even last year film, just the way he uses his hands and high hand and low hand. The techniques he used, and and I just watched it in the um Quentin Nelson with the um the coach I, I just like how it feels it's kind of nasty as the run blocks and stuff like that and it's just like he yeah, um just, and just a dog on the inside and it's just like sometimes I just watch him just to get my mind mindset right for the game because he just plays so nasty and another one is um Trent Williams he kind of like the same he played hard and stuff like that too also like very good technique and that's kind of like those I feel like are my two like. Best qualities, I play hard and I have good techniques. So those are the main three I watch like mostly. Hmm. Yeah.
1: So coming to Gainesville, we've established you are from small town Louisiana and then you went to school at Lafayette. So you're you're Louisiana through and through. How is Gainesville matched up with uh with your expectations coming from Louisiana? What 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 things do you like about it? What things do what 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 needs a little more hot sauce, if you had to say? For me I say it's like a different
4: um fresh breath of Like it's a new area, like it, it just feels a little different. Like Louisiana, I guess from being there all my life, it just if it, it felt I don't wanna say plain, but I just I feel like I just knew it. And it just was the same thing, but like here it's just it's different. Like I'm in a different place, different people, like you see different things, like just the area itself is different. The world is the same, like it's, but it's hot here and it's hot there, which is which I'm used to and I just got used to the heat. But I mean, it's like the way from from like from Lafayette, the way the town is, about the how crazy there's about all the sports and stuff here is as a back in Lafayette. They it, it, I mean they like the sports back in Lafayette, but it just the fact there wasn't as many people stand there, you mm-hmm. couldn't really tell how it's here. So a lot of people are here and they now like sports. So you you know you're you gonna know that they love the sports because they 'cause they're gonna show up even to everything. Like when I first got here. I ain't never seen that many people at a um, gymnastic match, but mm-hmm. it was packed. Like the whole place was packed. The line was outside, and it's just like just a just a nice environment.
1: Uh, what does Gainesville need that it doesn't have that you can bring from Louisiana? Are we talking like food? What What does Gainesville need that only you and your your Louisiana roots can provide?
4: Definitely some more food and seasoning choices and stuff like that. Just, like, not even, I, almost, I only want to say more food, just different ways of you seasoning the food that you got. Add a little more spice to it, not even a hot spice, just, like, a spice with a little kick and a little sweetness you can add at the same time if you know how to do it right. But, I mean, it's still good food. I mean, I ain't complaining. I mean, I enjoyed it. But, I mean, if if anything, I can say that. Like, like the good food that you can find, Louisiana, like, good places that sell jambalaya, fish and shrimp, stuff like that, good seafood and, even some of the other like foods they have in Louisiana, like the bar food and stuff like that, or just like the nice, like, I want to say Southern food because it's good Southern food I heard too, but like it's like Louisiana known for like red beans and stuff like that. Like, I ain't trying no good red beans out here yet, <laughs> but I mean, I feel like food will probably be the
1: main thing. Can you cook? Can can you can you bring yeah, this food to the people?
4: Yeah, yeah I, can, I, can, I can cook pretty good too. I'm um, – I haven't cooked that much recently since the season started, but like during the summer, then the beginning, um, during during the summer, then like in the spring and all that, I was, yeah, I was I was cooking it up. My roommate, ain't, my roommate, ain't believed me at first because at first I just been there cooking and stuff. That he he would ask me what I'm doing. I'll tell him. Then he asked what it is, and I explained it to. Him. He just he never he never tried nothing. One day I just decided to make him eat some, and then yeah, since then. Whenever I'm cooking, you gotta come ask me to see if you want some. Cause like <laughs> it's, it's different. You've tried good food before, but you ain't tried good Louisiana food till you tried good
1: Louisiana food. That's the best way I can explain it to you. I respect it. I respect <laughs> it. Um, couple final things for you. Uh, you talked about Gainesville and, and how crazy everybody is about the Gators. What has it been like playing in the swamp? I mean, does it compare to anything you've done before? Um, and and I mean, how how do you prepare for that when you've been in college for a few years, but you haven't played an environment quite like that? Um, it was it was
4: unlike anything I've ever experienced before. I mean, the closest thing I could say to what, what it was like was when I had um, went to my first NFL game. I went to the Saints game back when I was in high school. They had played against the Bucks, and then like it, it it got loud at times, like when they first came out, then when they scored. But I mean, for the most part. Just the game kind of quiet, but like here is in, here, here in the swamp, it's like from from the moment we, we run out the tunnel, it's like they never they never stop screaming. Then it's packed, and then like just it's just, it's just amazing, honestly. Like the, the energy you get from the fans is real, and I, I didn't know that until actually like standing out there on the field and playing in front of those. Like every time we took the field running out, they screaming and stuff like that, it just gives you kind of like motivation to just go score and just make them go crazy. So I mean, it, it's it's fun playing in front of that crowd, and I definitely enjoy it each time. It
1: gets better, it gets better and better each game. So three straight in the swamp at home, friendly environment. Now you go on the road. You're going to Tennessee. It's your first rivalry game. It's your first road game here. What are the expectations for what that's going to be like? How do you prepare mentally for that challenge?
4: I'm, I'm expecting it to be loud, but on the we don't I'm, we're gonna be on the opposite end of it, which is. We, we, it's, it's gonna be different, but I mean, um, I kind of like the challenge. I mean, it's, I feel like it's still gonna be fun. It's Still, gonna be a fun experience to go go there and see it. But it's just for us. I feel like to stay. It's gonna be it's gonna be a challenge to stay focused and be like prepare for that since we did have three home games in a row. But I mean, I feel like just just stay together and then like no, like once we get here for meetings Friday and then get on a plane and get there and then even to kickoff. It's, it's it's just us. We just gotta have each other backs. And if we all, everybody who's playing and all the coaching, everybody who's helping, it, like, if we all together and stay together, then we got a good shot of going there and coming out with the victory. So we just got to stay together and then, like, have confidence in each other. I feel like we're going to do pretty good.
1: Well, Osiris, thank you so much for your time. We're glad that you're a Gator and wish you a lot yeah. of luck this weekend in Knoxville.
4: All right. Yes, I appreciate it. Thank you.
1: And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales.